Today's reading is Revelation 5. Today's reading is Revelation 5 on page 1236 in the Pew Bible, or alternatively in the Chinese Bible, page 1824. That's Revelation 5 page 1236. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven, on earth, or under the earth could open the scroll, or even look inside it. I wept, and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open this scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll, and to open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice, they were singing, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and on the sea, and all that is in them, saying, To him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb, be praise, and honor, and glory, and power, forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. This is the word of the Lord.
Thanks very much, Stephen, uh, very much for that reading. I feel I should be standing before you wearing a waistcoat. Uh, it is the leadership style of the moment, isn't it? And what a leader he is. There you are. Well, let's pray together. I'm sorry, I was talking about Gary Neville, so in case some of you didn't know. Lord Jesus, we pray that by your Spirit you would open to us this wonderful chapter, that we may praise you with all creation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Life is full of tensions, things you can't resolve. Uh, You may have difficult circumstances, and yet you want to live with a lightness of spirit. Uh, We have a great and a loving God, and yet life is a challenge. As a parent, you upset your teenage children by saying no to what seems to them to be a perfectly reasonable request, especially when they play that trump card. Everybody else's parents say it's okay. And yes, because we have teenagers here, how do you honour your parents when they just simply don't get it? Or they wear those clothes? So we had a moment earlier on in the, uh, in the morning. There. Scott Peck wrote a book um, called The Road Less Travelled. Some of you may have seen it. The opening words of the opening chapter begin like this. Life is difficult. And failure to recognise that leads to all kinds of issues. Life is full of problems. Why should you expect life to be easy? There is a tension. Things don't get resolved. There's a dislocation. Now, Christians have a unique and powerfully truthful way of understanding this and coming to terms with it. In the early chapters of Genesis, our Bible tells us There has been a dislocation between God and humanity. There is now a fault line, a crack, not just through the universe, but through every single person and through every single family. Everything is now unsteady. One day we are promised it will be restored, but till then, what you feel should happen doesn't always happen. And sometimes it causes you to weep. Life is difficult. Now, uh, Revelation 5 takes you to the heart of the dislocation. And it tells you very clearly that the dislocation is a spiritual one. And failure to grasp that it's spiritual has led to all kinds of false solutions within our society. So we're going to enter into Revelation chapter 5, into a strange literature, style of literature, type of literature, that uh, that was popular from the 6th century BC to AD 200, and then hasn't been seen since. But it's it's actually particularly powerful. It's called apocalyptic literature. The Bible has got lots of different styles of literature, poetry and history and all sorts of apocalyptic. It's full of meanings, picture language, mixed metaphors to help us see where the tension is, where the dislocation lies, and why Jesus Christ is praised 
for resolving it. So we're going to look at four key phrases. Actually, there are five key words or phrases, but I've got four points, just simply not to depress you this morning. So not that you would be depressed, of course. So this is called the Song of the Lamb, and the first phrase I want you to see in chapter 5, verse 1, is the scroll. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sits on the throne a scroll. Now chapters 4 and 5 belong together. Chapter 4, St. John has this glimpse into heaven. And he sees God's throne. And he sees the holy and awesome one seated on it. And around him are myriads of angelic beings and creatures. And there is a song in chapter 4, the song of creation. And God is worshipped in the perfection of heaven. But we, like John, look at this from down here, from the chaos of earth. That's where we look at things. And, and we're looking at it knowing our own human experience. Now, in, he sees this scroll, and it's unusual because it's a scroll that has writing on both sides. Um, in order to prepare for the sermon, I had to do, find out about the, the production of scrolls in the first century, which is fascinating, actually, and is a kind of geeky way. Um, and on the outside, you would have, it was made, made of papyrus, and, and the outside would be strips with vellum, which is animal skin. Um, they would be 34 feet long, which explains the length of Isaiah, probably, and there would be, um, there, there would be uh, wooden sticks at either end, and they would be wound in uh, like this, and so you would have your scroll. And normally the writing on the inside, but in this particular case, there was so much to say, as it were, that the writing is on both sides. Even It's very, sort of very scratchy, hard to write on. But I think what it's meant to tell us, that the one who sits on the throne has in his hands all of his purposes and plans for blessing and judgment for the world. That's what it's meant to symbolize. This is everything. This is everything. It's packed full, but it's everything. And it is everything that we long for and we hope for, for God to restore the world. What's that? Uh, all our hopes, the hopes and fears of all the years are in that scroll. To restore the world in righteousness and love. And you'll see that it's open, sorry, it's, it's sealed, not just with one seal, which would be the normal thing, but it's sealed with seven seals. Again, revelation, symbolism, seven is a perfect number. Um, so there are seven seals. And, and the seals have a meaning. And the meaning is this, it can only be opened by one who has authority to open it. So if it was a will, for instance, there was a seal on it, then it would be slit by the person who has the authority to open it, to read it, and to enact the will. Some of you lawyers may have done something like that. Um, you remember Jesus' tomb. Uh, when he died, he was put in a tomb, and the tomb was sealed. And it was sealed with the governor's seal to say only by the authority of the governor, or a higher authority, may this 
tomb be opened? Well, there was one with a higher authority who opened the tomb. So here it is. Everything that we long for held in the right hand of him who sits on the throne and it is sealed up under hopes and the fears of all the years are in that scroll. That's the first word we need to look at. So let me just see that. There you are. The second thing that we notice in this then is the challenge. I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? Who has the right... In chapter 4, you saw this, there's a sea of glass. To go over the sea of glass, to go through the myriads of angels, into the throne room of God, and take this from God's right hand. Who has the power and authority to carry out all the judgments and the blessings to perfection so that no one could argue or question the rightness of all of God's judgments and blessings. Who has earned the right, as it were, to look into another person's heart, like yours or mine, to know why they did what they did, having been in their shoes, perhaps, and also have the right to give what is deserving to them. Who is worthy? And the answer comes back, but no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. That is, no, no one uh, in heaven, no angelic being, no one on the earth, no human being, no one under the earth, no dead being, <laughs> no one. And so John, do you see, in verse 4, says, I wept and wept, emphasized, because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Why did he weep? Because no one can resolve the tension, the dislocation that there is between between God and humanity, which is why things are all slightly wrong. And there is a dislocation and a crack right through everything. No one can heal the dislocation. No one can heal the fracture that is through you, through your family, through this city, through this nation, and every other nation in the world. That is the challenge and the tears. The lion. Then, verse 5, then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep, weep no more. (laughs) See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scrolls and the seven seals. What a moment! Uh, The lion of the tribe of Judah. Now, that goes way back, if you're taking notes, that goes way back to Genesis 49. I think it's it's verse 12, where, where I think it's Jacob prophesies over his sons. Um, and uh, he, 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 he prophesies over Judah and says that you are a lion. 
and uh, you will have authority. And then it says, uh, he is the root of David. That's a really interesting phrase. Um, uh, King David is of the line of Judah, and, and yet um, we, we know through our Bible history that, that the line of, 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 of the kings stopped in the exile, and they all went uh, over to, to Babylon, and it seemed as if it was all over, that particular line. But Isaiah, knowing this was going to happen in, in, in prophecy, in, in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 11, has a lovely little phrase, but there shall come forth from the stump, is the one I remember, but root the stump of Jesse, you see, that's the stump of David. There shall come forth one from the stump of David, a root, a shoot. Um, when we were in Canada, somebody reminded me of this. Uh, uh, when we were in Canada, Canada there's, there's a, a lovely park um, in, in Canada. It's called Stanley Park in Vancouver. It's just sort of out on the on the, on the edge of the city, and you can cycle around it, and, uh, uh, and it's got beaches and fabulous restaurants, and, you know, it's a place you want to go to now, isn't it? Yeah, but it really is lovely. But there's, there's, there are also these huge Douglas firs, and in particular, there is one that has been chopped down. And in fact, there's a number that have been chopped down, and they were chopped down to build ocean-going canoes. And you could go up the Fraser River, which was just around the corner from the Burrard Inlet. You could go up the Fraser River in these or, or out to sea, perhaps, and they would be hollowed out. And in one of these particular chopped down, huge uh, stump of, uh, of a tree, a shoot is coming out. A shoot is coming out. So the elder says, a lion, a lion, way before C.S. Lewis, a lion. And now comes the surprise. Because John turns and he sees in the middle of the throne, not a lion, but he sees a lamb. Then I saw a lamb and looking as if it had been slain, or a, lane, a, a, la, a lamb uh, slain, a slain lamb, standing as though it had been slain, in the center of the throne. So how on earth did it get there? Uh, well, we'll see, it got there because he comes from the throne of God. What an extraordinary image that is. Expecting a lion, seeing a lamb. Now, those of us who've been watching the World Cup will, will, will know, um, uh, you know, nations' symbols. And uh, somebody um, wrote this. I, I saw this in Leon Morris's commentary. None but an inspired composer of heavenly visions would ever have thought of it. When earthbound men want symbols of power, they conjure up mighty beasts and birds of prey. So Russia elevates the bear. Britain, the lion, yeah. France, the tiger, the United States, the spread eagle. Nobody mentions Canada, the beaver. But anyway, let's just go over that. <laughs> All of them ravenous. It is only the kingdom of heaven that would dare to use us uh, as a, its symbol of might, not the lion 
for which John was looking, but the helpless lamb, and at that a slain lamb. It's a great quote. It's almost right. It really should say, not only a lion, because the apocalyptic language is meaning us to understand the lion is the lamb. You see, this is, this is the extraordinary thing. The king, right, from the tribe of Judah, the king is the sacrifice. Uh, slain lamb means sacrifice. And he alone is worthy. You see, because he has the authority as the king, as the son of God, as we'll see, he has the authority, but also he has been in your shoes. He has felt your pain. He has known your temptation and has stood in your place. Slain and yet without sin. So only he can take up the scroll. And in verse 7, he takes it from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And so we come to the last point. The song of the Lamb. Now the song, this song in Revelation, Revelation is full of songs. And like every worship song should be, um, it explains what's going on. The song explains really, what, what does this mean? Well, this, is, this is what it means. But, but before we get there, I want you to see, um, I want you to see the elders. Um, verse 8, when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. Now, you know when you get pictures of heaven and you get pictures of angels with harps, it's a bit of a wimpy kind of picture, isn't it? But harp here, um, it, it's a fantastic instrument of joy. Um, think, uh, think Mumford and Sons, right? Think the banjo in Mumford and Sons. You know that banjo? Just go... You know, it's that kind of... Wow, you just go, wow it's great. You know, it's fantastic. And the, the sort of joy fills your heart. You think, this is, this is wonderful. So they're playing these, these harps strike up, these banjos strike up, you know, and they're just picking away on the banjo, which I love to be able to play the banjo. And then, um, then you have the, the, the prayers of the saints, which is, which is described as these bowls of incense. So when you would go into... Uh, um, a house in those days, um, because of the natural odors of human beings, um, uh, particularly in hot weather, and they would have bowls of incense, which would be a sweet-smelling saviour. Now, savour. Now, these are um, these are the prayers of the saints, and now they are. A, do you see? They're a sweet smell. They're a they're a pleasant smell before God. That is, God is hearing your prayers. God is saying now, um, because of the Lamb. Because he has done something to restore uh, this dislocation, your prayers and your hopes and your fears, as they are purified by God into right and true prayers, will be heard and answered in his good time. In his good time. Wow. 
And it goes on to say, they, 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 they sang, in verse 9, a new song. Now, do you remember in chapter 4, we mentioned the song that was sung in chapter 4? The song in chapter, chapter 4 is the song of creation. Wonderful creation. There's God in heaven, fabulous, what a glorious creation. But he's so far away from where I am. And all, and all my hopes and my fears, he's so far away. Well, now they sang a new song, and it's the song of redemption. The song of salvation. And it begins with this phrase, and you see it so many times, you are worthy, you are worthy, as Sarah brought that out, you are worthy. Now that is something that, um, this is written, of course, in Roman times, and there's always a political element to the book of Revelation, because it it sort of really cuts counter to um, Roman power. And what you would say when, when the emperor came along the streets, you would say in Latin, Vere dignus, very dignus. You are worthy, you are worthy. Now, in Revelation, John says, hey, don't say that to him. <laughs> I mean, some of these Roman empires were totally emperors, but were totally nuts, you know. I mean, they, uh, they, uh, they, they de- one of them declared their horse as worthy of worship. I mean, it's like totally off his rocker. Nero? Was Nero? No, no, no. But Jesus, the Son of God, you are worthy, you are worthy. Now, why? Well, it's right there at the center of the throne. This is said, you were slain. You were slain. That's why, that's why we, we have communion, because the center of Christian worship is around the death of Jesus. Uh, and by your blood, blood means death. You were slain, and with your blood, you ransomed or you purchased men for God, men and women for God, of course. So if the fracture was sin, and that's our rebellion, it caused the break, the dislocation, uh, not just between God and humanity, but between God and all creation. If that is the root of of the problem, then it must be paid for. And the ransom price is paid, and the ransom price is that a death must happen. And a a death must happen. But it's not ours. It is the death of one who did not deserve to die. A perfect, spotless sacrifice in your place. One who knew no sin was made sin for us all, that we might know the righteousness of God. I'm a big fan of, obviously, you know, Lion and Witch and Wardrobe, and, and, and that particular book has this um, stunning scene where they see the lion going up to the stone table and the white witch getting out her knife and, and, and laying him on the stone table, and, and Lucy and, um, 
and Susan, I think it is, isn't it? Are there watching, and uh, and then and they fall asleep, and then they hear the sound, and and, and the stone table is cracked, and 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 the lion is 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 set is 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 alive, and the lion, of course, Jesus, Jesus explains to the to to Lucy what it means, and, and says this: and the witch says the lion. The witch thought that, you know, that she could kill me and then she could kill Edmund. And she would be able to do that. But she would have known, um, in a deeper magic, the witch, she might not have known this, but she could have known that when a willing, willing victim who had committed no treachery was killed in a traitor's stead, then the table would crack and death itself would start working backwards. Just, just take that thought away and think about it. Death working backwards. It was just an amazing thought. Now, do you see there's that word crack or fracture again that I mentioned at the beginning? So when a bone is broken and doesn't set properly, it sometimes needs to be rebroken before it can properly set. So what Jesus' death did was to, was to break, break the table, to break the law of sin and, it, and, it, and its consequence. Death. So that by faith in him we would be ransomed and rescued. Wow. So he goes on. And with your blood you purchase men from God. Persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. That means every people group. Um, you will find people um, in heaven from every people group. Every protest group. So there's no group that, that won't have someone in it. Who finds and is, is saved. And, uh, and, and this people will become part of God's people here on earth. The people from whom the healing has begun. Has happened and will continue to happen. Now, that's an amazing chapter, isn't it? And I know that when you, when you come to talk about this in the Western world, it's, it's quite difficult to hear words like sin, words like repentance, words like forgiveness are very difficult to hear. A friend of mine who was a, who was a, um, a counselor uh, once asked in a secular group, what about forgiveness? And what? These are difficult words to hear. So remember the Czech politician, Vakal Havel. He said this, the line between good and evil does not run clearly between them and us, but through each person. No one is simply a victim. Everyone was in some measure co-responsible as a victimizer. Many people were on both sides. We know that we were all caught up in this. But the problem of the world is a spiritual one. No other solution will cut it. But the Lamb has come and he has done it. And when you know this, when you get this, and I know that I've rushed through this, the cry goes up, he is worthy. He is worthy. And, and, and there is one question to ask, only one question from Revelation chapter 5 to answer. 
as the cry goes up and people start singing, you are worthy, you are worthy, the only question to ask and for you to answer is, are you part of the choir? It's the only question. Are you part of the choir? Do you get it? Does your heart lift because of Jesus? Just go, yes, it's Jesus. May I tell you that you need to read on. Um, verse 13, then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth. You, you, your pets are going to get this. You know, even if you don't get it, your dog and your cats are going to be singing this, and the animals and the birds, and all of creation, the trees of the field will clap their hands. They'll all be getting it. So please, <laughs> please get it. And please struggle to see it so that your heart leaps when you hear of Jesus, our Savior. Are you part of the choir? Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Blessing and honor, glory and power be unto him, be unto him. When you hear the Messiah sung. And that's Siri quoting it. <laughs> it's the only question that matters. Are you part of the choir? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we glory and magnify your name this morning. And... We acknowledge the deep fracture that is within our world and we commit and pledge ourselves, Lord, well, to understand it first, to grasp it, to be humbled by it and to recognize we are part of that and to see that it is you who has done it. And we commit ourselves to continuing to acknowledge that that is the root problem and that Jesus is the root and shoot the one who is the only solution and whom all creation will one day praise when they see him. May we be part of the choir. In Jesus' name, amen.